Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Senior Pastor Matt Homeyer. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you, Dean and Haley, for leading today. Jacob uh, woke up uh, last, well, yeah, last night and woke up again this morning with no voice. And that's a fairly important part of a uh, worship minister's job is his voice. But thankfully, we have Dean and Haley to lead us. Pray Jacob gets better soon. Let me pray for us this morning. God, we're so grateful for this time each week. to lift our voices in a way that we don't the rest of the week, alongside brothers and sisters in Christ, family of faith, to pray, to to sit without any other obligation or responsibility, even if for an hour, to hear your word read and spoken. Honor this very small commitment of ours, God, as we know you will do. Meet us here in this space so that we might hear from you. In your name we pray, amen. It's one of the odd privileges of a pastor's life to officiate your funerals. And when the time comes to stand at the head of the casket at your burial and graveside, remember very early on in seminary, uh, I had a class by a former pastor and professor at Truett named Dr. Levi Price. He was some of your pastors, I think, back in El Paso, where some of you have been at different points in your life. And he told us who were training for ministry that there would come a day fairly early in our ministry, particularly if we were senior pastors, where we would rather do a funeral than a wedding. And I remember thinking at like 21, 22, you know, what an odd concept to think of. He is no way he's right about that. And not that we're looking forward to funerals, mind you, right? That's not it at all. But our purpose, all of our purpose is very clear at a funeral. There's no mixed um, messages of what we are here for or where is, the, where is God in this or what is the minister's role in this. We know very clearly why we are there. Christians perhaps we are most Christian, if we can say that word. Christian's kind of an all or nothing thing, but we perhaps, maybe, maybe this way, we stand out as much as any other time in our life as Christians at gravesides and at funerals. When we're faced, literally, we, we do them in here where the casket is right here or perhaps the urn or the picture of the person who has died is right here. We're faced with irrefutable proof of our mortality. And yet in the face of that, we dare to speak words of resurrection. Robert Creech, who's a member here, former uh, interim pastor, says Christians in the face of death, we stand and we shake our fists and says, all is not as it seems. 
we dare to speak of life in eternity with God for those who die with Christ. In that moment and in our life, it is either quite literally the best most hopeful, unbelievable news we could announce. It's either that or it is the cruelest trick one human could play on another to say there is hope when there is none. And so for the pastor to stand here, for all of us to stand at a funeral and proclaim resurrection, we must drill down to know what we believe and to think about the meaning of life and the depth of what Christ has done for us. And we choose every time we're in that situation to believe it yet again and to say it yet again as words of life for those who were hurting. Years ago, I had cause to look through the Methodist book of worship during a a particularly difficult funeral where I had not words to say. And I came across this prayer. I think we may have it on the screen. And, And it says this in the Methodist book of worship. Oh God, who gave us birth, you are ever more ready to hear than we are to pray. I say this at virtually every graveside. You know our needs before we ask and our ignorance in asking. Give to us now your grace that as we shrink before the mystery of death, we may see the light of eternity. Speak to us once more your solemn message of life and death. Help us to live as those who are prepared to die. And when our days here are accomplished, enable us to die as those who go forth to live so that living or dying, our life may be in you and that nothing in life or in death will be able to separate us from your great love in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. We can just leave that up there for a while. I find it a beautiful prayer. In in grief with the mourner, the, the prayers and the praises of God. It recognizes God as the source of life. It acknowledges the mystery of death and, and it proclaims this deeply Christian belief that the deceased has not perished, has not ceased to exist, but has gone forth to live. It petitions for the mourner that we might live in light of death, lived as, as those prepared to die. Church, we need, you need a good theology of death and a theology of life as well, to be sure. But we talk a lot about our theology of life. We also need a good theology of death. This is probably a fuller sermon for another day, but I can summarize it a little bit because uh, mostly I want to talk about living today. But here are the highlights of what I consider to be a healthy theology of death. You're going to die. <laughs> You are going to die, the young and the old among us. To paraphrase Hank Williams, no one gets out of this world alive. Death to the theology part. Death is not failure. Death does not indicate a lack of faith. Death is not punishment for our individual sins or failings or missteps along the way. Here's a wild fact of our relationship together as pastor and congregation, pastor and followers of Christ. For not many of you, but probably for a few of you or others that will come to call Trinity Baptist Church your your home, there will be a moment near the end 
where you and I pray together for your death. And we will cry and it will be a holy moment when we know it is time. And it is time to ask God to usher us forth from this life into the next. Who knows, you may pray this with me one day. We need a good theology of death. Death isn't to be sought before it's time. Eternity will always be there. But until it is time, there is a purpose for our life here. We, we need to live. But as this prayer says, there is a call on our life in light of eternity that is waiting for us with God. There is a call, therefore, eternity invades time. And the God who issues us into eternity has a calling on our life that says, because of this, it says something about how we are to live today. Our theology of death informs our theology of life and how we are to live today. Our theology of life and how we are live today is formed in light of the reality that we will one day die. These things feed one another. We need a theology of life and death. Death is inevitable, but we believe that for those that die in Christ, in dying, we find new life. In dying, we go forth to live. So what does it mean? This is really the theme of the sermon today. What does it mean to live as those prepared to die? I mean, is this a nice holy reminder from us from the Methodist hymn book to uh, pay our insurance premiums and make sure those are up to date and, you know, make sure our will is updated and just how we want it and to make sure our cemetery plots have been purchased? No, it's so much more than that. It points to the reality that if the love of God enables us to die as those who go forth to live and not just to die as the end of the story then that same love has a claim on our life before death. I mean, if death is all there is, and that's just it, then your life is yours to live however in the world you want to live it. We talked about stuff last week. Then your stuff is yours to use however you want. Get as much of it, spend it, waste it, use it, do whatever you want, if that's all that there is. But if God has invaded this life and opened up this way to eternity, we are bound, bound to live life in light of eternity with God. In, in short, there is a call on our life. One way to frame this call is that we are called to live as those prepared to die. I think to live as those prepared to die is to consider our legacy in the world. Legacy is what we leave, what, what we are forming, what we will be remembered by. Now, when I say legacy, any number of things might come to mind for you, depending on who we are and where we are. I mean, maybe inheritance comes to mind, what you leave behind or planning to leave behind, or maybe what has been left behind to you as inheritance. That inheritance could be financial or property. It could be a name. It could be a bearing. It could be any number of things. Maybe when I speak of legacy, you think of reputation. You're, you're building a name in the world, that name that is going to be left behind. And when you're gone, you want that to mean something, that when people remember you, they, they, they think of certain things. I mean, maybe for a few of us, that's in monuments or statues or busts or something like this. I don't know. Maybe that could be the case. 
But those aren't really the fullness of legacy I want to discuss this morning. If anything, inheritance and reputation and any monuments or whatever may be left behind, those are more the outcome of legacy. Those are more the logical conclusions of legacy, not actual legacy that forms us as we are living. The legacy I want to discuss is how we live our life on a day-to-day basis in light of eternity, in light of the fact that we will one day die. Legacy is something we begin shaping, we begin forming, we begin creating each day we live. That means legacy isn't just something for those in the latter years of life to consider. It's as applicable to those who may be in their last decades as those who possibly at least, or in the middle of life as those who are in the beginning of life. It's something we begin creating every day that we live. We begin shaping every day that we live. The musical Hamilton, many of you may know or have heard of, burst onto the scene, the Broadway scene in 2015. It was something unlike, you know, many things that had come before it. Certainly, Broadway's not exactly my thing, but I pay attention a little bit. Certainly probably the most popular overall uh, Broadway musical of the past uh, generation. If you're not familiar, it's made its second appearance in San Antonio at the Majestic here recently, which our family got to enjoy. We can sing all all the songs. If you're not familiar with the musical, it's based on the 2004 book about Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow. Revolutionary War hero Alexander Alexander Hamilton, Secretary of the Treasury, and then famously killed in a duel with Vice President Aaron Burr. In the musical, in the book, in his life, Hamilton struggles as this immigrant um, who is brilliant but penniless and, and powerless and trying to make a way in the world, make a name for himself. And in one scene, he sings of legacy. He says this, sings this. I'm not gonna sing it for you. You'll thank me for that. That legacy is planting seeds we never get to see. It helps get at this idea of legacy. Legacy is living in such a way that following Christ blesses those around us, gives of what we have to those around us, lives in such a way with certain characteristics. We might call them the fruits of the Spirit the ethics of Jesus that that hopefully changes the world around us, but also in such a way that is looking forward, planting seeds of grace and compassion and mercy and love and even salvation all around us in the world where we work and where we live and where we play. And some of those may come to fruition in our lives. Some of them may come later on when we're gone. Some of them, who knows where the end of those will be. We, We plant seeds in the world kingdom seeds, we would say, Jesus seeds, that we don't control when they flower, when they come to bloom, but we're looking forward into the world, living in such a way that matters for eternity, that might matter for generations to come. Gets at this concept of legacy, scriptures leave us. We're to live now in a way that shapes the future ahead of us. There's another point in Hamilton where Alexander Hamilton and George Washington are are writing George Washington's farewell speech when he unexpectedly and somewhat shockingly stepped away from the presidency after his second term, setting this precedent for all to come, except for one. And then an actual line from the speech, which is sung, again, I won't sing it for you. I can, I'll do it another time outside of this, but you don't want me to do it now. 
Washington sings, I want to sit under my own vine and fig tree and no one shall make them afraid. They'll be safe in this nation we've made. That last line on the nation is added, but it's probably a direct quote that's actually in Washington's final farewell speech. Uh, from Micah 4.4, 4, probably, it also shows up in Zechariah 3. It shows up in 1 Kings. This image of the vine and the fig tree, that, that one day everyone will sit under their own vine and fig tree and no one shall make them afraid. Washington and others of the founding fathers latched on to this phrase as they fought and bled and then governed to both form and then shape America and what it would be, this concept of a nation that really had not come before. It's not my area of expertise, but I know something about it. Washington himself uses it, this particular phrase, this particular imagery over 50 times in his personal correspondence, a few times in reference to Mount Vernon, but more often it was used to evoke a dream of what one day might be. That if we continue on the path, the inherent hint in this is that if we keep doing what we're doing, if we live the way we live, if we fight for what we are fighting, there is this dream that one day, Everyone might sit under their own vine, their own fig tree. That may not sound appealing to you, it might, but what it was hoping was that everyone would have their own place, everyone would have their own security, everyone would have their own leisure to sit and enjoy the fruits of labor, to be at peace, to beat swords into plowshares. There was a dream they were working for that they borrowed from the minor prophets to shape their work in that day. This, they, he lived in light of what one day might be if God willed it. This is legacy. It's exactly what Micah was evoking when, when he wrote this phrase in Micah 4.4. 4. He was encouraging the people of God to be faithful today in hope of God's promise for tomorrow. It's a quintessentially prophetic task, encouraging people in the mess of life, the difficulty of life, often in unbelievably awful circumstances, to choose to be faithful today in light of what God might do one day, what God will do one day. And they evoke story and imagination and hope to help people see beyond what is right in front of them. In, in Micah, Probably, he's writing during the time of King Hezekiah when the Assyrian king Sennacherib had come and surrounded Jerusalem. And Micah has this task to both tell the people of God, the unenviable task, tell the people of God what is happening, your suffering is largely a result of your lack of faithfulness. There have been a covenant you formed. There's an agreement you had with God of how this works and you have broken your side of that yet again. But there's hope because there's always hope with God. Turn back to God. Turn your ways to God. Commit your way to him once again. And then he begins to evoke the possibilities of life if they could come to that point of turning and living their life in the way God had called them to live. Vision of peace a vision of prosperity, a vision of God's providence at work. There will be a day if we return to God, 
when God will do a mighty work, everyone will sit under their own vine and their own fig tree and no one shall make them afraid. Several times throughout scripture, we see these phrases, this particular phrase. Here's the interesting thing about it. The vision of peace wasn't for the audience Micah was addressing. It wasn't for them. It wasn't about their personal security. It wasn't about their very present or soon to be here comfort. Micah was calling them to return to God, to remain faithful, to live for God today for the sake of a dream that might come to pass for their children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren. This is legacy. This is what it means to live as those prepared to die, to live in a way that not only blesses others today, that honors God today with our life, but to live so that blessing resonates for generations and generations to come, to give our life to a dream of what could be for our neighbors, for our church, for our community, for others, even going out to generations. Church, I wonder what calling, what dream of God, what kingdom vision could so capture us? We're willing to spend our lives working toward its fulfillment in hopes our kids and grandkids might come to see it pass. And we live in a day now where Christ has come and and brought the kingdom of God to earth. And so parts of this Micah dream have come to pass. We, We see it partially fulfilled through the coming of the Spirit, through the coming of Jesus. We're also, though, awaiting the fullness of it with Christ's return. We live in this fascinating in between time where we are called to partner with the risen Christ to create peace in our world, to create wholeness in our world, to sow grace and mercy and love and salvation right here among us, right here in the greater San Antonio area and beyond. This is how Jesus taught us to pray. Lord, may your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Another way to say that would be just as your, reign, your will reigns in heaven, God, help us to live so that your will reigns here. Just as the fullness of who you are is known in heaven, help us to live in such a way so that glimpses of heaven are known here among us. Glimpses of your power, glimpses of your fullness are known here today. You call us to live in such a way so that glimpses of you might be known in and around us in our families in our children, in our grandchildren, our neighborhoods, our communities, our churches. Look back on your life this week, church. What legacy did you work for? Did you live for this week? We are called to live as those who will die, which means that while we yet live, Our days and our weeks matter deeply. They are building some legacy. We have control of so little in our life, so little regarding our own life and death. Day to day, minute by minute, what we can control is how we spend those days. 
what we seek to build with our life in the days that we are given. Did you bless anyone this week? Encourage anyone? Lift anyone up? Did you lighten the burdens that your coworkers and friends and family were carrying in the name of Jesus? Did you play a part in answering that daily prayer for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, for God's ways, God's blessing, God's salvation, God's forgiveness to be sown among us just as it is known fully in heaven? If this week were the measure of your life, would it be lived, would it have been lived for Christ in such a way that leaves that legacy? Are you living as one prepared to die? Friends, my prayer for us and my hope for us as we look into a new year, as you and I as church and pastor settle in to a life together for years to come, that we would follow this way of Christ together. That we would live today and this week, not just thinking about the pressures of the day, but aiming for the years ahead. We would live in such a way that leaves a blessing, not only in our immediate wake, but that ripples out to those we know not yet, to those we may never meet. That we would follow the way of Christ who made, who made himself less so that we might be made more who planted seeds everywhere he went of compassion and grace and mercy and forgiveness and love and salvation, some of which came up immediately, some of which came up much later, and who ultimately chose to die so that we might live. Let me pray for us. God, our life is telling a story a story others are reading every day, a story that will be told after we are gone by those who knew us best. This is our legacy, a legacy that we begin to build every day of our lives. God, may we be grasped so fully by you and who you are and who you have called us to be the salvation you have worked in our life by the spirit that empowers us, that each day of our life is spent building a legacy that makes less of us and more of you. And then when our time does come to die, they will have trouble remembering us without talking about you. We hope you enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with senior pastor Matt Homeyer. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.